0: Okay, guys, um, um, last week we made a couple of statements that you took home with you, and I'm hoping that you were able to practice it during the week I was, so I'm hoping you were able to. The first statement we made was that I exist for one reason only. I exist for one reason only. I exist to serve, to display to serve and display the king and to advance his rule and influence. That was the first statement we made last week. That the only reason for your existence, just think of this, eh? The only reason for your existence, there's no other reason. The only reason for your existence is to serve and display the king, as in Jesus, and to advance his rule and his influence. It's the only reason for your existence, guys. Once you become a Christian, there is no other reason for living. I know I'm repeating it again and again, but it's so vital that we get this because most of us don't think like this. That all my talent, all my time, all my treasure and my life is for just one reason. That I'm here to display and serve the King as in Jesus and I'm here to advance his rule and influence here on earth. That was the first statement we made. The second statement we made was that my life now is only about the fame of Jesus. My life now is only about the fame of Jesus, the fame of Jesus, the fame of Jesus, Jesus, consumed with bringing fame to him. And we talked about how these really well-placed Um, CEOs of companies leave their lucrative jobs and the money that they get to go and serve at the White House for four years or sometimes eight years and their only intent is we serve at the pleasure of the President of the United States and everything we do will be towards his fame. That the statements we make, the way we dress, the way we conduct ourselves, the things we say, shall bring him fame. And so they abandon everything else for four to eight years. We use that as a parallel to show or say that we have to now get to a point where my life is only about the fame of Jesus. My marriage is only about the fame of Jesus. My role as a husband is only about the fame of Jesus. My activity as a pastor is only about the fame of Jesus. My gleaning is only about the fame of Jesus. The way I keep my house is only about the fame of Jesus. In my walking, in my talking, in sex, in the bedroom, in boardrooms, it's only about the fame of Jesus. That's how we need to now begin to compute. That's what we talked about last week. This week... I want to talk about being a living sacrifice, and uh, um, it'll be a three-part series, and today we'll take one. So, um, living sacrifice, and it just keeps adding to what we did last week. So, when we think of the word sacrifice, what comes to mind is that there must be some death involved, because we think that God wants... What God wants of us is the sacrifice of death. And that's the easy part, guys. But one of the things that God keeps coming back to, and particularly in Romans 12, verse one, He makes it very obvious that He doesn't want a dead Jacob. He wants a Jacob who is living, a living sacrifice who will bloodily put to death. Three things. Here's what a living sacrifice. Here's what a living sacrifice puts to a bloody death one stubbornness two self will and three inflated inflated self-respect a living sacrifice God doesn't want me dead. I mean, sure, martyrs have played a tremendous role in Christianity because every time Christian blood is spilt, it cries out. And every time Christian blood is spilt, Satan has overplayed his hand. And every time Christian blood is spilt, the gospel advances. So martyrdom is a part of Christianity, has always been a part of Christianity. But what God requires is not people who are willing to die While that's part of the equation, what he wants is people who are willing to live as a sacrifice. And a living sacrifice puts to death three things, guys. Without putting to death these three things, there's no going forward, eh? Because these are the things that prevent us from being living sacrifices. This is why no goat or bull went dancing voluntarily to the altar. I mean, those things had to be dragged to the altar. So they have to be dragged, held, and then their necks have to be chopped off. What we need to put to death, if I want to be a living sacrifice, is three things. Stubbornness. Oh man, my mum used to say that I used to be a pretty stubborn kid when I was young. I remember one night waking up. I don't remember this. My parents told me this. I was two or three and I woke up at one o'clock in the night and just started crying. I won't stop. And they checked me out, and I was fine. They did everything they could. I was fine, but I kept crying, and nobody could sleep. And finally they remembered that they hadn't taken me out for my 7 p.m. walk like they used to every night. And so in the middle of the night at 1.30, my dad had to take me out for a walk. (laughs) (laughs) She said, help us, Lord. (laughs) And as soon as he took me out for a walk at 1.30 in the morning, I stopped crying. So, stubbornness is something that has to be put to death, guys. As kids we have it, as grown-ups we have it. And one of the the primary things that has to be put to death, if you want to be a living sacrifice, is stubbornness. The second thing is self-will. Self-will. Where I have a will of my own that I try to exert, and that will always come in the path of being a... Yes, Lance? Uh, It will always come in the way of... Um, being a sacrifice. And the third one is inflated self-respect. Inflated self-respect. I wanted to just put self-respect, but in the Western world, we we somehow think self-respect is some highly valued commodity, so I thought I'll just put inflated, inflated self-respect. I mean, what about Jesus exhibited self-respect? Nothing. Stripped naked, hung on a cross, Born in a stable, fatherless, questionable birth origins, died among thieves, rejected by his own people, his family thought he was crazy, disciples ran away, one betrayed him, what about him had any iota of self-respect? He respected who he was. And why, why? Why? Because John 13 says, he knew where he came from and where he was going. Even that came, not from anything he intrinsically possessed, because he said, by myself I am nothing. That's what he said, eh? So even when it came to self-respect, it came because of where he came from and where he was going, and not because of some intrinsic value that he attributed to himself. Which is why when he says, um, when he talks about parables like the pearl of great price, He's not talking about him being the pearl of great price. He didn't go around saying, I am the pearl of great price. He was talking about the kingdom. But well, that's another story. We'll talk about it another time. Guys, so these three things have to be put to death if there is any hope of me stepping into being a living sacrifice. And so over the next three weeks, we look at Matthew 11:29. 29. And Matthew 11:29 says, take my yoke upon you. And I'd spoken about this in June of last year, but I felt it was good to visit it again now. Um, Matthew 11:29 says, "Take my yoke upon you um, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light." And then you go to, then we'll go to Matthew 16:24. Not today, the next time. Matthew 16:24 says that um, take up your cross, deny yourself, and Follow me. We'll talk about that um, next time. And then Matthew 19.29, Matthew 19.29, where it says, if you want to follow me, you will have to literally lay down homes, mother, father, sister, brother, and the things you possess. And um, only then can you follow me. That's in Matthew 19.29. Three levels of sacrifice, eh? And so today we start with Matthew 11:29 and 30. Matthew 20, 11, 29 and 30. So if you want to turn to it, that's where uh, we'll stay today, and then over oh, the next two, uh, the next two times we'll take care of the rest. Next week uh, it'll be Jason who'll be speaking because I'll be in Bahrain. Matthew 11:29 and 30. Guys, we always forget to make this announcement, but uh, we don't take an offering in the church. We make an offering. So if you want to make an offering, there's a box at the end of the church, and you can always go joyfully or laugh your way to that box and put some money in it. Just want to let you know that. Matthew 11:29. 29. Um, let's read from um, verse 18. Matthew 11:18. 18. Here goes. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you Chorazin! Woe to you Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, or Sidon they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes but I tell you it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you and you Capernaum will will you be exalted to heaven You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So Jesus is at present talking about how what he said had been rejected and he's talking about that. And then it shifts. At that time, and he suddenly stops and he starts communing with his father and look at what he says. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Verse 27, all things have been handed over to me by my Father and no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then in verse 28, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So guys, Jesus is asking you to come beside him and take one end of the yoke so that me and him can pull together. Tavis, just come up for a second. So let's assume I'm Jesus. Sorry, I'm rushing you. I know, I didn't even warn you. But let's assume I'm Jesus and Tavis is Tavis. So here's what Jesus is saying to Tavis. Jesus is saying to Tavis, Hey, Tavis, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come beside me. And so Tavis comes beside him. And then he says, I want you to take this yoke. We don't have a yoke, but we will pretend. So we'll take what Chris always drops. <laughs> so, so so, he says, take this yoke. Come beside me, Tavis. And so Tavis comes beside me. And then he says, take one end of the yoke, Tavis. And so take, Tavis takes one end of the yoke. And he says, now walk beside me. And so Tavis and I keep walking with the yoke on my shoulder and his shoulder. Wasn't that brilliant? Thank you. Let's do the whole thing again. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So that's what Jesus is saying. Come, Jacob, get beside me. Take one end of the yoke so that me and you can pull together. And so what is this yoke? So here are the things we need to know about the yoke. One, he doesn't say, take this yoke upon you. He doesn't say, take a yoke upon you. He says, take what? My yoke. So the first thing is, guys, it's something he wears. Take my yoke. That itself should bring hope. Because this verse scares most Sunday school kids when they grow up because they learned it and then they realize, oh shucks, he's going to put something on me. But what God is saying is, I'm going to put what on you? Take my yoke. It's something that he has obviously worn for all eternity, that he obviously wears now and that he'll obviously wear forever. Just imagine that, eh? this thing that he wears This yoke that he wears was given to him by his father because he only accepts that which is from his father. So this yoke that Jesus is talking about that he's inviting me to come under is something that his father gave him, something he's worn since eternity, something that he wore when he walked the earth, and something he wears now. Things are suddenly looking better. So that's one thing about the yoke. It's take my yoke. Two, it's a yoke the father laid on him. And we know that the father dearly loves the son, so it can't be something nasty. Take my yoke. Two, it's given him by the father, given to him by the father. Three, he says it's easy. It's easy. It's light. It's easy. And the word easy there. It's something like crestos or crestos. And what it basically means is kind, man. The word easy really doesn't do it justice. It's actually the word that should be used is kind. And so here's what Jesus is saying this yoke is light and it's kind of kind. It's a kind yoke. And now you begin to think, hmm, this might actually work for me. I don't need to be scared of this verse. The yoke is actually kind, it's light and it's kind. And four, he says, Hey Jacob, take, take it up, take it up. As in, there's there's an active, willing, voluntary desire that should rise up in me. This is not something he'll force on me. This is not something that I'm obliged to wear. This is not something that will um, jeopardize my eternal security. He's saying, come Jacob, take it up. Take up this yoke and wear it. So there's an active, willing, voluntary desire that I should have to come under this yoke. Guys who have dogs have seen this very often. Uh, I had this little Tibetan Spaniel, and it was odd. eh? Every time I'd come back from school, as soon as I'd pick up the collar, this dog would start jumping and turning around and wagging its tail and going crazy, Why? Because as soon as I picked up the collar, the dog knew that I'd take it out for a walk. So instead of being afraid of the collar, this dog would look forward to the collar, because every time I brought the collar out, he knew that a walk was imminent. This is what God is calling us to, eh? Instead of shirking from the scripture which says, take my yoke upon you, every time the word yoke is mentioned, your heart should leap like a little dog, thinking... Oh shucks, my master's going to take me out for a walk, my master's going to take me out for a walk. <laughs> That's the feeling that should come up. That, that is what God wants to bring out of you. Instead, we think to ourselves, oh man, here comes something that will demand a sacrifice of me. No. In fact, the dog would have to be dragged back home because I get tired of walking after two minutes. And then I discovered this thing called a car, and everything is fine now. (laughs) So, take the yoke. These are the four things that we need to understand, guys. And look at the context in which the scripture is quoted. today. Jesus breaks into this spontaneous communion with his Father, and he's saying things like, Father, only you know me, and I'm the only one who knows you. And he's in this communion with the Father. And you should see how the message puts it. Eh? Here's what uh, uh, Matthew 11:27 27 sounds like in the message. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. And then look at these next few lines. This is, this is a unique father-son operation coming out of father-son intimacy and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does nor the father the way the son does. And then Jesus says, but I'm not keeping it all to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. And while he's having this conversation that has to do with the knowledge of the father and the intimacy Jesus shares with the father, he suddenly turns to his disciples and says, hey, come, take this yoke upon yourself too. So this yoke he's talking about must be defined by the context that preceded what he just said. It's in the middle of talking to his father, middle of talking about intimacies with the father, middle of talking about his knowledge of the father that he suddenly turns to his disciples and says, come, take my yoke upon you. So what is this yoke then? I would Not I would suggest, I would strongly say to you that this yoke... That Jesus is talking about an offering to you and to me and to the disciples that day. This yoke is his relationship with the Father. This yoke is his relationship. Jesus' yoke, Jesus's yoke is his relationship with the Father. This is what he's worn since the beginning of time, guys. He loves this yoke. It's it's a yoke he pleasurably wears. In John 5, it says that the father dearly loves the son. This is the yoke he's been wearing since eternity. This is the yoke he wore when he walked the earth. Everything he did, why did he do it? He said, everything I do because I love my father. This is the yoke he wears today. It's a yoke that is... Kind. It's a yoke that is easy. He'll never ask me to wear anything that he hasn't already worn. And he's saying, hey Jacob, this is what I wear. Come, come son, take my yoke upon you. Enter into this relationship that I have with the father. Because didn't I tell you when I rose again that I'm going to your father and my father. And he's saying, come take this yoke upon you. And what does this yoke entail? What, what all does it um, have in it? It has... It's a yoke, it's a relationship or a yoke of affection, trust and intimacy. Jesus' yoke is his relationship with his father, and it's a relationship of affection, of trust and of intimacy. This is what Jesus has always been. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning. He is the Alpha and Omega. And yet from that place called no beginning. He has always worn this yoke. And it has been this amazing affection, amazing affection that he's had for the Father. It's been this absolute trust where he says, I know that God will not allow me to see decay. And it is this amazing intimacy which would cause him to wake up in the morning and go up to the mountains and speak to Abba. The amazing intimacy that has him cry out on the cross, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Or Eli, Eli. It's the amazing intimacy that he always had, he had on earth, he has today. You can imagine, eh, you're walking with him, He's just been rejected in a few towns. What he said, no one has listened to. And he's walking along and you're behind him. And suddenly he breaks up into spontaneous prayer. And he says, Father, nobody knows you like I do. And you're the only one who knows me like nobody else does. And these are intimacies that you and I share. No one knows you, Father. No one knows you. Nobody knows me. And yet these are intimacies that you and I share. And I have such knowledge of you and you have such knowledge of me. And while he's in this spontaneous prayer with him and his father, and everything else seems excluded. Suddenly he turns around and says, come take this yoke upon you. Enter into this relationship that I have with the father, which is full of affection, of trust and of intimacy. Guys, you think Jesus would ever not walk in rest when you have these things intact in your life with your father? You get this right and you'll walk in rest for the rest of your life, man. This is what happens to children where they are in the affection of their mother. They know the trust and the reliance they can count on and they have such an intimate relationship with their mother, weaned at the mother's breast. Stilled, stilled, stilled. Be still and know that I am God. Not till I know the affection and the trust and the intimacy that I can have with the father stilled at the mother's breast, still in the father's breast. And that's a crazy thing. I mean, good enough that you redeemed me. Great that you've given me a free ticket to heaven. My future is taken care of, but here's what you're adding to it. You are saying that, Wonder of wonders, you're inviting me into the same relationship that you have with the Father. Here I come running like a little dog who's seen the collar. And I come bounding saying, put that yoke on me, put that yoke on me, take me out for a walk. That's what we're talking about, guys. Any questions before we go on? Any questions, any comments, any disagreements? Any other views before we go on? Go ahead, Matt. The, the dog couldn't put the collar on itself, so how do we pick up the, uh, the, the version of the price? So yeah. The can you find it or see it or know? Or In two minutes, 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> <up> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I Yeah. I'm going to deal with that next. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay. So how do we, uh, to answer Matt's question, so we are being called to enter into the relationship. How do we do this? How do we do this? I knew that dog collar thing would get too literal at some point. (laughs) So how do we do this? One, guys, every morning, the Spirit of God awakens me to step into. So here's the first one. Every morning... Or afternoon or evening, depending on whether you're a morning, afternoon, or evening person. Most pastors are afternoon people. Every morning, the spirit of God awakens me. Every morning, the spirit of God awakens me to step, to step into the same affection. trust, and intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. That Jesus had with the Father. You know, in Song of Songs 2.10, there's this beautiful verse, which says, Arise, my love, my fair one, Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away with me. For the winter has passed and the springtime has come. Every morning, guys, the Spirit of God has only one desire, to bring you into perfect oneness with the Father. John chapter 17, the whole chapter is about Jesus saying, Father, you and I are one, no? Now let Jacob also be one with us. And how, Father? You're in me and I'm in you and I'm in Jacob, so Jacob can be one with us. This is his prayer. The desire of the Spirit is, can I bring Jacob into perfect oneness with the Father? Can I bring Acts 29 into perfect oneness with the Father? This is his desire. And every morning, the Spirit of God awakens me to step into the same. I love that. Not a secondary But the same affection, trust and intimacy that Jesus had with the Father, the Spirit of God awakens me and says, Jacob, want to step in further today? It's the water that starts at the ankle, then comes to the knees, then comes to your waist, and then comes to your neck till you're finally swimming in this matrix, man. It won't happen overnight, but I got a lifetime to begin to step into this. Same intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away with me, says the Spirit of God every morning or every afternoon. For the winter has passed and the springtime has. Come, come, come come now. Know that this invitation is open every day to every child of God. Why? Because Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, Jacob. Second, Guys, uh, every week, if possible, start with, Abba, what do you want to say to me about your love for me? What do you want to say to me about your love for me? Even Jesus needed it, eh? every now and then there would be an audible voice from heaven which would say stuff like, You're my beloved in whom I am well pleased. You're my beloved in whom I delight. These words were spoken over Jesus. Not because he doubted it, but it was the affirmation of the Father. And you think you and I don't need it. I look forward to the Father saying Not sweet nothings, but sweet somethings to me. Every so often. I'm not saying make it a weekly habit, but I mean, just imagine if God said to you, hey, Jason, you're my son. You're chosen and marked for my love and the delight of my life. You think you can resist that after that? When he says to you, hey, you're the delight of my life, Matt. Rosalind, you're the delight of my life. You're marked for my love. When the father says that, you think it's possible to function normally? No, you're again like that little dog running around in circles. I remember once going through a rough patch and uh, felt the Lord. Uh, and this actually happened in a dream, and I'm sleeping that night. And there's this uh, beach, and suddenly um, there's this scripture scrawled on the beach, and it says Psalm 80 verse 15. I woke up and I quickly started looking for Psalm 80 15, and here's what it says: "You are the root that my right hand has planted." You are the son I have raised for myself. You think you think problems will bother me? Then after that. You are the root my right hand has planted. You are the son I've raised for myself. Oh. After that, it was like, bring it on. I can deal with it. That's where we start, guys. That's where we start. Ask the Lord to grace you. And he doesn't do it grudgingly. I mean, like Wayne was saying yesterday, Wendy was saying she wasn't feeling beautiful. And so what did Wayne say? Wayne said, but you are beautiful. You are pretty. You are uh, good looking. And what did Wendy say? Wendy said, but you're my dad. That's what dads always say. That's what Wendy said. But how cool that she recognized it. Yeah, how cool that she recognized it. That you're my dad, that's what dads always say. Right on, right on, right on. That's what dads always say. This is not some kind of little um, breadcrumb that he thinks, "Hmm, you've been asking for affirmations. Here, eat this crumb. No, man, this is a father's heart. And my response should be the same as Wendy's. But you're my dad, this is what you always say. But go ahead, say it anyways. And you write it down. On your iPhone, or if you have Mark's phone, then write it down on a sheet of paper. Because. <laughs> write it down. It was so funny. Eh? I was with, Matt, uh, with Mark at a restaurant and sent him a text message. And notice that if you sit two feet away, it takes about three minutes to get there. But if you hold the phone right next to him, it goes immediately. It's a very high tech phone. But that's. I have no idea what was going on during the Yeah, that phone is very high tech. Guys, ask God, ask, uh, uh, ask the Father, not Father, tell me something nice. Ask the Father every few weeks or every few days, um, um, Father, is there anything you want to say to me? And trust that the Father enjoys doing it. Remember the Wendy story. Trust that the Father enjoys doing it. Because it will really change the way you see things once you hear the Father. And guys, don't think you can't hear the Father. You just think that when He speaks, it can't be Him. Because surely God won't say such nice things about me. Or surely God doesn't speak. No man. You can actually hear Him. You can actually hear Him. So here's what I want us to do right now. Just write down what you think the Father is saying to you. Just write down what you think the Father is saying to you. In the context of what we've just talked about, write it down. Keep the tape running, guys. Don't shut it off. Write it down. Okay, in that verse, he uses another line. He says, learn from me. Guys, learning is acquiring or gaining skill or knowledge over a period of time. Because it doesn't happen instantly over a period of time. When I was a kid, there used to be these comics called Flash Gordon Comics. Uh, If you're old enough, you'll know what I'm talking about. And there was this little kid called Willie in Flash Gordon Comics, and he had this amazing ability to look at a book, and immediately he'd he'd know everything in the book. I thought, what if it's real? (coughs) So one day I decided, two days for the exam, let me try this. So I took a book, put it under my pillow, and went to sleep. And I thought, what if? What if this actually works? What if instantly everything in that book I would know? I was very young. (laughs) Didn't happen, man. Because you have to learn. And he says, learn from, learn from me. And that is acquired or gained over a period of time. Learn from me. And guys, why is this important? Because, need some water, Chris? Okay, why is this important? Because knowledge is what generates... Um, affection, trust, and intimacy. Knowledge is what it generates it. Eh? As you get to know someone, you're able to express greater affection, trust easily, and get intimate. Knowledge. Oddly, oddly enough, the very word that uh, um, King James uses, uh, and Adam knew his wife. Why? Because it generates affection, trust, intimacy. And so this is vital. And how do you get this? Uh, One, serious study of the Word through being taught and through learning yourself. Serious study of the Word. That's one way you do it. Two, sincere communion with God. And three, straightforward obedience. Straightforward obedience. You want to increase in knowledge? These three things are vital. I can't increase in knowledge through worship. In fact, it's a very bad idea when a church is centered around worship because how can you worship him who you don't know? You can feel emotional about him, but that's no big deal. You can cry a little and then you'll have to get over it. But as you begin to know Him, worship becomes more meaningful. So, it requires knowledge is attained through the serious study of the Word, through sincere communion with God. I like the word communion now, than prayer. And then straightforward obedience, where once you know what you're supposed to do, that you actually go and do it. That's how you increase in knowledge. And knowledge will generate affection, trust, and intimacy. So ache, ache after the knowledge of God. Ache after it. Let your belly hurt. Ache after the knowledge of God. Ache after it. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. A couple of points more and then we'll stop. So we will be done before 12.25. guys the third thing is shuttle between shuttle between loving the father and being in love with the father shuttle between loving the father and being in love with the Father. It's not semantics. It's real. It's not just the way we word things. It's two different things, eh? There's loving the Father and there is being in love with the Father and there are two things, man. David knew this. David knew this. Jesus knew this. And most Christians live in one or the other. They either live here or they live here. Loving the Father is what Jesus talks about in John 15, 14 or 14, 15. Uh, John 14, 15. Loving the Father is John 14, 15. And what does it say? If you love me, you will obey my commands. Very simple, straightforward. Being in love with the Father is when you and I get called, here is a man who is after the heart of God. A man after God's heart is when you... Are in love with the father, not just loving the father uh, uh, what what are we talking about? One is about affection the other one 's about intimacy and both have to combine eh so i 'm called to do things out of an affection father for the father but i 'm also called to be intimate with the father i 'm supposed to be loving where I will follow your commands and the evidence of being the ev- the evidence of loving the father is obedience to his commands. And then there is being in love with the Father, which is when you are intimate. One talks about fidelity, the other talks about intimacy. You can have a couple that will never cheat on each other, but will never be intimate either. I've met couples like that. They've spent the last 40 years like that. They even have kids, so it's not like they didn't have sex. But intimacy? Don't know how to spell it. Fidelity? Fidelity? Absolutely. Gotta have both, man. And then you are known in the corridors of heaven as a man or a woman after God's heart. Jesus was like this, see? Had both. David was like this. Had both. At one point, David says in Psalm 119, uh, I will obey your commands and delight in you. (laughs) And then... Three verses before that he says, Oh God, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart that I may run in your commands. What a difference. One place he says, I will follow your commands so that I may delight in you. On the other place he says, Enlarge my heart so that I might run in your commands. A man after God's own heart. Shuttle between loving the Father and being in love with the Father. Guys, we've got to do this. eh? It'll show in the quality of your life, guys. One will prove to people that you are Christian because your life shows obedience to his commands. The other will prove that you are the father's son. Ha! I don't want just to be a Christian. I want to be the father's son and a Christian. We've met many good Christians, but how many father-son relationships do you come across in the church? Imagine how the disciples would just go completely quiet when Jesus would talk, start talking to the Father. Eh? These are fishermen who've learned religious education probably on the beach. And then this man starts praying. And when he starts praying, he begins to call this God, Yahweh, I am the self-existent one. He starts talking to God like God is his father. So... Remember those two lines we read up in the beginning? I exist for one reason only, to serve, display, and advance the king and his rule. And then the second statement was, my life is only about the fame of Jesus. So here is the third statement for us to take home. My heart beats for one reason alone. My heart beats for one reason alone. To nurture the same intimacy, affection, and trust that Jesus had with the Father. My heart beats for one reason alone. To nurture the same intimacy that Jesus had with the Father. My heart beats for one reason alone. I wake up and I realize, oh shucks, I'm awake. My heart is beating. Ah, awaken, arise my love. Come. My heart beats for one reason alone. Here Father, love that collar. Love that yoke. My heart beats for one reason alone. To nurture every day the affection The trust and the intimacy that Jesus displayed and had with the Father is absolutely possible for this little Jacob here on earth. And by little, I meant small, not little as in little. I didn't need to explain that. And as I do this, guys, as I begin to enter into this, you will find that um, rest is very easy, even in the valley of trouble. Even in the valley of trouble. Go to Hosea 2, Hosea 2, and we'll read that and end, Hosea 2, actually uh, Derek can you put on the uh, PowerPoint, Hosea 2, we'll have to put it on this since you uh, were Samson a little while ago, Hosea 2, Hosea 2, I'm glad you see the positive in everything Derek, Hosea 2, where is Hosea, before This doesn't help at all, you know that, right?
1: Of
0: course, this is embarrassing. The pastor can't find Hosea. Ah, got it. He's a minor prophet. What can you do? (laughs) Hosea chapter 2. Yeah, Hosea chapter 2. listen to this, eh? verse 14 onwards look at the intimacy that God expresses Hosea 2, 14 onwards therefore behold I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness not to punish her but to speak tenderly to her and there I'll give her vineyards and I will make the valley of Acor, or valley of trouble a door of hope and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my master. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth and they shall be remembered by her no more. And I'll make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air And the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and the war from the land. And I'll make you lie down in safety, Jacob. And I'll betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy. I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. And you shall know me, the Lord. And in that day, I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth And the earth shall answer... I'm so glad there are kids in this church. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine, and the oil. I said kids. And they shall answer Jezreel. And I will sow her for myself in the land. I will have mercy or no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Beautiful scripture. You should read it in the New Living Translation. NLT. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. Guys... Next week we'll be dealing with taking, not next week, the week after that we'll be dealing with taking up your cross. You cannot take up the cross till you take up the yoke. Because a sacrifice is painful when you don't like the person you're sacrificing for. A sacrifice is easy when you like the one you're sacrificing for. You cannot take up the cross if you don't take up the yoke. Just want you guys to sing the song as we close. And then if you need prayer... Feel free to come up, and there'll be people who will pray with you.
1: As the deer pants for the water, let my soul thirst after you. You are all that my heart. Desires and I long to worship you. One more time. And as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you. You are all that my heart desires and I long to worship you. Behold, you have come over the hills upon the mountains. To you I will run, my beloved. You've captured my heart. One more time. Beautiful. Beautiful. Behold, you have come over the hills, upon the mountain. To you I will run, my beloved, you've captured my heart. Won't you dance? With me, oh, lover of my soul. To the song of false song, won't you dance? Won't you dance with me? Oh, Lover of my soul. To the song of all songs. Next verse. With you I will go. You are my love. You are my fair one. The winter has passed, and the spring time has come. With you I will go. With you I will go. You are my love. You are my fair one. The winter has passed And the spring time has come One last time, with you I will go With you I will go You are my love You are my fair one The winter has passed The winter has passed And the springtime has come, I will dance with you, I will dance with you, lover of my The song of false song. May I suggest that Wendy must be doing that right now? Romance be your oh, lover of my soul. To the song of all I will dance with you. I will dance with you, Lover of my soul. To the song of all songs Romance. Lover of my soul. To the song of all songs. You're an amazing God.
0: You're an amazing God. <sighs> Please help us to put this into practice. This week. Please. Thank you. Guys, if you need prayer for anything, feel free to come. Or otherwise.